can take your Bibles and turn to the book of Esther, Esther chapter 2. Last week, Cody had the privilege of introducing and opening up one of the most glorious pieces of literature that Scripture has to offer. As he began the introduction to this series, walking through the book of Esther and what that looked like, and he brought you to King Ahasuerus or King Xerxes, and he demonstrated through Scripture his power and his depravity and his wealth and what kind of a despicable individual he was. And if you will remember from Cody's words last week, what Ahasuerus was doing as he was celebrating and feasting and drawing all of the nobles into the citadel, into Susa, into his palace, and Vashti, who was his queen, was having all the ladies there and she was tending and taking care of them. What he was doing is he was gathering an army. He was drawing in finances. He was gaining momentum so that he could go out and he could attack the Greeks and that he could have the victory that he and his family and the Persians had so longed for. And in the midst of that, we see Queen Vashti deposed put to the side, said that she could never come back into the presence of a king, apparently a queen that Ahasuerus was in love with, that he had some great and deep affection for. Because what happens between chapter 1 and chapter 2 is the historical events of Persia and Xerxes attacking the Greeks and falling woefully short in defeating them. And so if you would, if you can picture this, the great god king Xerxes is coming back into Persia in the beginning of chapter 2. If you would, with his tail between his legs, he's gone out to battle and he's been beat. The one who was supreme, the one who was ruler of everything, the one who deemed himself God had been defeated by the Greeks. And so he comes back home, his tail between his legs... And that is where we pick up in chapter 2. And in chapter 2, what we're going to see is the groundwork being laid for what God is going to do in the rest of the book. What God is going to do through one of the most unlikely characters in Scripture. If you would, stand with me. As we read Esther chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, we will read the entire chapter. After these things, when the anger of King Ahasuerus had abated, he remembered Vashti and what she had done and what had been decreed against her. Then the king's young men who attended him said, Let beautiful young virgins be sought out for the king, and let the king appoint officers in all the provinces of his kingdom to gather all the beautiful young virgins to the harem in Susa the citadel under the custody of Haggai, the king's eunuch, who is in charge of the women. Let their cosmetics be given them, and let the young woman who pleases the king be queen instead of Vashti. This pleased the king, and he did so. Now there was a Jew in Susa, the citadel, whose name was Mordecai, the son of Jer, the son of Shemi, son of Kish, a Benjaminite, 
who had been carried away from Jerusalem among the captives, carried away from Jeconah, king of Judah, whom Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had carried away. He was bringing up Hadassah, that is Esther, the daughter of his uncle, for she had neither father nor mother. The young woman had a beautiful figure and was lovely to look at. And when her father and mother had died, Mordecai took her as his own daughter. So when the king's order and his edict were proclaimed, and when the young women were gathered in Susa the citadel in the custody of Haggai, Esther also was taken into the king's palace, put in custody of Haggai, who was in charge of the women. And the young woman pleased him won his, and won his favor. And he quickly provided for her with, with her cosmetics and her portion of food and with seven chosen young women from the king's palace and advanced her and her young women to the best place in the harem. Esther had not made known her people or kindred, for Mordecai had commanded her not to make it known. And every day Mordecai walked in front of the court of the harem to learn how Esther was and what was happening to her. Now when... The turn came for each woman to go into King Ahasuerus after being 12 months under the regulations for the women since this was the regular portion of their beautifying six months with oil and myrrh and six months with spices and ointments for women. When the young woman woman went into the king in this way, she was given whatever she desired to take with her from the harem to the king's palace. In the evening, she would go in, and in the morning, she would return to the second harem in the custody of Shazgaz, the king's eunuch, who was in charge of the concubines. She would not go into the king again unless the king delighted in her, and she was summoned by name. When the turn came for Esther, the daughter of Abihel, the uncle of Mordecai, who had taken her as his own daughter to go into the king, she asked for nothing except what Haggai, the king's unit, who had charge of the women, advised. Now Esther was winning favor in the eyes of all who saw her. And when Esther was taken to King Ahasuerus into the royal palace in the tenth month, which is the month of Tibet, in the seventh year of his reign, the king loved Esther more than all the women. She won grace and favor in his sight more than all the virgins, so that he set the royal crown on her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. Then the king gave a great feast for all of his officials and servants. It was Esther's feast. He granted a remission of taxes to the provinces and gave gifts with royal generosity. Now when the virgins were gathered together the second time, Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate. Esther had not made known her kindred or her people as Mordecai had commanded her. For Esther obeyed Mordecai just as when she was brought up by him. In those days as Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate, Bigthan and Teresh, two of the king's eunuchs who guarded the threshold, became angry and sought to lay hands on King Ahasuerus. And this came to the knowledge of Mordecai and he told it to Queen Esther. And Esther told the king in the name of Mordecai. When the affair was investigated and found to be so, the men were both hanged on the gallows. And it was recorded in the book of the Chronicles in the presence of the king. May God add his blessing to the reading and the hearing of his word. You may be seated. Now I know many of you have read the book of Esther. Many of you have done Bible studies on the book of Esther. 
Many of you, if I were to ask, you would say, man, I love the book of Esther. And it is a wonderful book because it was inspired by the Spirit of God. It was penned by the man of God who he chose. And it was recorded in the history of God for us, in the history of redemption. And it was passed down from generation to generation until it lays before us today in God's inerrant and infallible most holy word. But this morning, when we come to chapter 2 in the book of Esther, let me just ask you to open your eyes anew. If you would, just grab those rose-colored glasses that you've been wearing and pull them off and set them to the side. So that you can see clearly what was taking place here. That we can see clearly what was happening. Because what happens throughout the book of Esther is a development of character. But right here in chapter 2, there's no role model to be seen. There's no woman to look up to at this moment in the book. We need to deal with that. We need to understand that. And in light of the tragedy that took place last night, we need to understand that God is still God even in the midst of the most heinous acts and the most tragic things that can happen. And He always has been and He always will be. So let's walk through the story of Esther with our rose-colored glasses sat down beside us. You don't have to take them and step on them. You might want to put them back on in a little bit. But Ahasuerus comes back into his capital. He comes back into his palace. He's been defeated. He's almost probably in mourning because of the loss. Because he would have felt himself to be invincible. Unable to be killed. Unable to be defeated in battle. But he's having to come back to his people with a loss on his back. They all know. They all see. They all understand. And so what he does is he begins to remember Queen Vashti. He begins to remember this woman that at some point he cared for, that he had affection for, that he most likely loved and endeared himself to as she endeared herself to him. Because no matter how marriages and relationships start, if they last long enough, the affection grows. If they last long enough, the love begins to grow. If they last long enough, we are endeared to one another. And so we see that with King Ahasuerus as he begins to remember Vashti. He begins to remember what he had done to her. And there seems to be a bit of remorse with the fact that this woman can no longer come into his presence because remember he is a Persian king and the law of the Medes and the Persians was irrevocable because they believed that they were perfect. They believed that when they made a command that that command was a perfect command and there would be no reason to revoke such a command. Because when you believe yourself to be God, you believe yourself to be perfect, and there's no reason for the revoking of your word. 
to the young men that attended him, the people that were there watching him, saw his countenance, understood what was going on, and they began to devise a plan. They had remembered that earlier there was to be a queen placed in Vashti's stead, that would, there would be a reversal, that Queen Vashti would be deposed and someone would come in. And so they devised this wonderful plan. King, you have many provinces. You've got much land and much territories. And in those provinces and in those lands are beautiful young virgins. And every one of them is under your complete and total authority. You have the power and the ability to bring them into your capital. Allow us to have them perfectly prepared for you over the course of 12 months. And then we will present them to you one by one. And you, O oh great God King, can make the perfect decision of who is to replace Queen Vashti. And now to a pompous and arrogant and wealthy control freak like a Ahasuerus, this sounded like the perfect plan. Not only would it demonstrate his power and his authority, not only would it demonstrate all of this, but it would give him the desires of, and the lust of his flesh, the ability to fulfill every fantasy that he might have. And so he says, this sounds like a good king, a good thing to do. And with the, all the authority of a Persian king, he makes this decree. And the young women began to be gathered. This just demonstrates what Cody talked with us about last week. The depravity of Ahasuerus, the wealth of Ahasuerus. The total authority that this king has. And what it looks like when you give a depraved and a fallen human being. Complete and total authority and wealth and money is never a limit. This is what we get. Trying to satisfy his needs and make himself feel better about what he was unable to accomplish on the battlefield by what he will accomplish with the ruling and the destruction of his own people. And then the story begins to thicken a little bit more because if you'll notice, you haven't even heard the word Esther yet. You haven't even been introduced to the individual that God is going to use by his power and his might to save his people ultimately. Reminds me of a story when we were in high school in Texas and they were playing Waco, Texas for the state championship in 2A private schools in Texas. And sometimes things just come from the most unlikely sources. In all game, the right tackle had been checking in as an eligible receiver. Because unbeknownst to every other team that we had played that year, the right tackle was the fastest individual on our team. Now, if you know football at all, that's just not common, that the tackle would be the fastest individual on the team. But he's been checking in all game, and it's getting late into the fourth quarter, and they really need a touchdown. They really need a score, and they're inside the 10-yard line, and it's time. It's time for something unlikely to happen. 
So Mark goes out. He checks in as an eligible receiver. And the play begins. And the play shifts right as if it's going to be a sweep. And then all of a sudden, he turns around. The quarterback hands him the ball. And as fast as he can, he scoots in for six points on the other side of the field. Caught everyone off guard. Even fans of the team weren't sure what was happening. God is about to begin a process here in chapter 2 that is going to catch everyone off guard. Even the Jews in the citadel, even the Jews in Susa are going to be caught off guard by what happens. But God has a master plan and he's beginning to work this out. And it's going to come from one of the most unlikely sources. Because what we have is we have this this guy Mordecai, he's a Jew. His family had been taken in when Babylon came and they captured Israel. And he's been pulled in. His family's been set up in Persia for some time. And he did exactly what Jeremiah told them to do. They built homes and they got jobs and began to get comfortable in their settings. And then when the opportunity came for them to go back to Israel, they were comfortable in Persia. They were fine right where they were and so they stayed. But he had an uncle. And his uncle and aunt died. We're not told how they died, and it doesn't matter to the story itself, but they're gone. And left behind is this beautiful young girl. The Bible describes Esther as gorgeous, basically. She had a lovely figure, and she was beautiful to look at. If you read church history and Jewish history, Some would have said that she was absolutely the most beautiful woman of her time and that there was not a single woman in the whole world at that moment that could even come close to surpassing Esther in beauty. Jewish history says that she's the most beautiful woman that ever has been. She's gorgeous. She had somewhat of a winsome character because she won favor with everyone that she met. She was somewhat submissive because when her parents died and she came under the care of Mordecai, she submitted to his rule and to his authority in her life, and she obeyed everything that he told her to do. But let's think about who Esther was. Esther was a a woman of Israel who were basically captives in a Persian land. She was an orphan, no mother and no father. She was being brought up by her cousin of all people. I think Esther had some understanding of tragedy. I think Esther had some understanding of grief in her life. I think Esther had an understanding of what pain looked like for a young woman. But God, in her very creation, was working his hand and orchestrating this in a way that he was going to use. Because from this orphan, from this motherless and fatherless beautiful young girl, he was going to do something amazing. 
but it's as if she had not, as if she had not suffered enough in the loss of her parents and being a captive in a foreign land. And King Ahasuerus' decree comes out. If you're the most beautiful girl in the land, you're going. And I want us to see what was happening here as hundreds of young girls, hundreds of young virgins were pulled from city and city and providence and providence and home and home and family and family, and they were all brought to this one place. Now, I don't know about you, but taking young girls away from their families and bringing them in to beautify them so that they could fulfill the lustful and awful desires of a godless king? Sounds like tragedy to me. Sounds like suffering to me. You think they wanted to go? Most of them did not. The scripture says they were taken and brought to the harem. They were ripped from where they were. They were ripped from their families. They were ripped from their lives. And they were brought for the perverse desires of a godless king. These young women were understanding the tragedy. And I told you, and I want to defend my case, saying that at this moment, Esther is not a role model. Because scripture does give us a picture of other things like this happening. The book of Daniel is a glorious book that presents people like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego as men who were willing to sacrifice their very life to remain faithful to Yahweh, to remain faithful to God. Esther and Mordecai had become a little bit too comfortable in the land of Persia. And instead of standing up and saying, give me a righteous God or give me death, they caved. Well, it wasn't easy. It wasn't pretty. She was taken from her family. But there was a choice. Death was an option for both of them. And they chose not to go that route. But God still had a plan. Because as she comes into the care of Haggai, the king's eunuch, her personality and her beauty begin to shine. And it's not very long before Haggai says there's something special about her. Let me find the most talented. Let me find the best. Let me find the best cosmeticians that I can possibly find and place them around Esther and take special care of her. And let me put her up in a special place. And let me set her aside so that she can be perfectly prepared for the king. And for 12 months, she's prepared. For 12 months, she goes through beauty treatments that would have prepared her for walking into a night with the king. Now, these beauty treatments, if you can, when you look at the original text, it really, this, there's an idea of scraping there, of perfecting there, of removing any abnormality, of removing any imperfection from her in any way that was necessary, if you would. 
Some of the beauty treatments with the oil and the myrrh and the spices. If you can imagine being sit, sitting in a sauna that's running about roughly 180 degrees and the humidity is at about 100% and it's filled with perfumes and it's filled with oils and as your pores open up and the sweat pours out, the oil runs in and penetrates the skin so that when you walk out of there, there is a long-lasting aroma about you. They understood how to make these women exactly what the king wanted. And that's what they did for 12 months. Men, their nights would come. They were able to take anything in to visit the king that they wanted. Remember, these women were young virgins. Most of them more than likely were less than 20 years old if not younger, early teens. Prepared for 12 months, brought in to a perverted king to spend the night with him. And in the mornings, everything changed because they were no longer a virgin. They were no longer pure. They had been violated by a godless king and they were put to the side with the rest of the concubines with the rest of the disposable women that a despicable king had messed up their life. And then came Esther. And Esther, having understood what Haggai was teaching them and was talking to them about, and understanding who she was and what she had done with Mordecai and submitting to his authority, she basically does the same thing to Haggai and she listens to the advice that he gives and she goes in and she spends the night with the king and she pleases the king and she finds favor with the king and the king falls in love with Esther. This woman who just by her appearance and just by walking into a room, people fell in love and found favor with her. She spends the night with the king and that's it. The search is over. He has found his queen. Esther is the one. The rest of the concubines can go on. We'll leave the rest of the virgins for a later date. And so Esther is made queen. Watching the reversal of roles. Vashti, queen, being deposed from her leadership and authoritative position in chapter 1 and this orphan girl who has been yanked from her family being raised up and placed on the throne as queen all because God had a plan all because God knew what he was doing all the tragedy that she faced with the death of her mother and father, the tragedy that she faced by being ripped out of the household of Mordecai, the tragedy that she faced by losing her purity to a godless king who was not an Israelite, with the chance of being discarded like so many others. That's where Esther is in chapter 2. She's hurting. There's pain, there's suffering, there's agony. But it seems to work out because she is made queen. And Ahasuerus and his celebration begins to just 
Celebrate who she is as his new queen. Celebrate the new love of his life and parade her out so that everyone else can see her and how beautiful she is and how wonderful she is. And isn't she going to make a great queen? And he does this and he gives her a mission of taxes and it says he gives gifts. He gives gifts that are befitting royalty to give. A man with all the money that he can think to have at his disposal, when he gives gifts, they should be good gifts. And it says that's what he was giving. That's what he was laying out before them. And then as the party begins to die down, and the young virgins are gathered back into their harem, and Mordecai goes back to the gates listening for word of Esther, the plot takes another turn. And he hears of a plan to kill King Ahasuerus. And Mordecai doesn't have direct access to the king. He can't just run into the palace and say, King Ahasuerus, these men are going to kill you. So he gets word to Esther. And Esther brings this word of deceit before the king. And when it's found out to be true, they write it down in the book of the Chronicles of the King. That's a little statement. Pointing us forward to what's going to come toward the end of this book. Pointing us forward to what's going to come later in the chapters of the book of Esther. Thickening the plot, adding the characters. Now we know King Ahasuerus, Vashti is gone, Mordecai has been presented to us, and Esther is there as queen in a place of authority. Who she is has not yet been told. Who she is as a relationship to Mordecai, who she is as a Jew, has still been hidden. Because that's what Mordecai told her to do. And that God's people are a chosen people, they're a special people. And yet she was hiding that fact. She was doing things. She had to have done things to hide that fact that would have made her unclean. She was no longer partaking in any kind of kosher diet. She was no longer she was no longer dedicated to her people. She had been given to a Gentile in marriage. All these things that the law of God has told them not to do. And she's keeping her identity a secret. Are you? Are you keeping your identity as a believer a secret? The people that sit next to you at work know that you love and serve the greatest God, the only true God of the universe. Not that you come to church on Sunday, but that you love and serve a mighty God. How we respond in tragedy tells things. How we respond to pain demonstrates it to them. This week I was listening to George Guthrie teach. He said he had a friend call him. He said, our house is on fire. George, come over here. So as a, an elder in the church, he rushes over. And as he gets there, he sees his husband and wife sitting in lawn chairs watching their house burn. And the wife calls him over and says, hey, George, come here. She says, you see all these people gathered around us? 
they're lost. They don't know Jesus. George, pray that they will know him because of the way that we act and the way that we respond in the midst of tragedy and destruction in our lives. Because when I read chapter 2 of the book of Esther, this is what I get. Life's dangerous. It's hard. Pain is around every corner. If you haven't experienced it yet, I promise you, in the future, you will. Suffering will come into your life. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when and how hard and how severe will it be. I come to the book of Esther and in chapter 2 and I look at these young women being ripped away from their families. I look at the evil, despicable king and what he's doing to these women. And just as an aside, this happens here today in the United States. The slave trade is alive and well in the United States of America. And according to the numbers and the statistics, we're about five miles from one of the most terrible roads you could ever think of, Interstate 20. But as I come to chapter 2 of the book of Esther, see, I've read the book. I live on this side of the cross. I know that the heroine that God is going to use is pointing to a great hero who is going to reign and rule forever. I know that in the midst of tragedy and in the midst of suffering and in the midst of pain, that there is a God who can use any circumstance and any terrible act and any horrible thing that happens to me or to you, and he can use it for his glory and he can use it for his good, and he does and he will, and that's a promise for him, him for those that love him and are called according to his purpose. Don't claim it if you don't claim him. But if we claim the name of Christ and he claims us, then every terrible situation, just like the reversal of roles that happens in the book of Esther, he will reverse those roles and it will work itself out to be good. Now I understand that today, in the midst of pain and suffering, that's a hard thing to see past the tears, past the hurt, past the agony, past the depression, past all the things that are going on in this world. But we must get past them and see to our God who is able to do more than we could ever imagine and more than we could ever hope for and more than we could ever dream of and more than we as pitiful, broken human beings would ever dream to ask of. We've got to get past our circumstances and to our God because when we come to the book of Esther and we come to chapter 2, if there is a God out there who can use this nonsense and this tragedy and this destructive of a king and this ungodly of a person and the stripping and the taking away of beautiful women for their family for his own perverted desires, I want to follow that. to a time of invitation this morning that you can follow and come to 
the one true God of the universe. The only God who can take circumstances like this and bring honor and glory to His name. You can surrender your life to Him. You can commit your life to Him and allow Him to work His good through you. way that God leads you, in the way that God calls you. It might be that you just need to join with this body in fellowship. And as we grow together in love, we demonstrate to the world around us that our God is greater than everything else. Won't you come?